This week on Punch Mountain, pain don't hurt, but getting your throat ripped out will leave a mark. Put that knife away, put all of them away, because we're watching Roadhouse. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies, not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake, and I'm joined as always by your podcast lion. They call him the double deus, as in two gods in one. David Hada, how are you? The podcast cooler, how are you, Mac Blake? I am... Also, I'm doing nice, David. I'll say that. That's good. Be nice until it's time to not be nice. David, we're talking this kind of bullshit because we're watching, uh, we watched the movie Roadhouse. That's right. We're doing episode 20, so this is going to be a tentpole episode. We went for a classic on this one, and and I'll be damned if Roadhouse isn't a classic. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to do this one. But opening thoughts, David, what, what is your history with the movie Roadhouse? When my parents joined Columbia House in the, uh, the early 90s and they got the six tapes for $1, this was one of those six tapes. This was one of the original six, but I didn't get to watch this movie until I was much older, as we'll talk about here in a little bit. I've, I watched it many, many times in my 20s and 30s. I thought there would have been some trouble with enjoying this movie after after having seen this movie scores of times. This movie's still great. It still holds up in its own way. It's not a perfect movie, but it's a scrappy little movie. And you've got Patrick Swayze, you've got Sam Elliott, you've got Ben Gazzar as the villain, the most affordable villain, but you get value for it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of these movies we see on Punch Mountain, or we talk about on Punch Mountain, some of them I'm seeing for the first time. That is not the case with Roadhouse. This is the opposite end of the spectrum. Because, David, this is one of the shows that we would do with Master Pancake Theater, Austin's favorite movie mocking group. You know, this movie has a reputation of being one of those movies that's like so crazy that it's fucking awesome. And because it's so over the top and also a heavy dose of, you know, what the fuck at times, this show ended up being a lot of fun. How many times do you think we did this show? I would say easily 50 times, maybe maybe 60 or 70 if I really put the pencil to it. Because, yeah, you know, uh, the shows add up over a weekend and then weekends add up over a month and then uh, by, it comes back by popular demand. So, yeah, we've, we've seen this movie a lot. Yes, that is what I was getting at is that we have seen this movie so much. So I kind of know this movie backwards and forwards, except I think we were screening this movie before we kind of were doing very heavy edits. And so when we were making fun of this movie, we kind of took out like two chunks. One of the chunks that we took out was the monster truck scene, which is funny because that's one of the things that I think people remember about this movie. But I was very excited to watch this movie Again, for Punch Mountain, what is this thing about? Is it good? What is it like to actually fucking watch it? Not necessarily trying to make uh, a joke every five seconds. And yeah, I got to say, I like legit super enjoyed this movie. Roadhouse still got it, baby. Well, here's the thing that kind of blew my mind because, you know, we, we've watched it, you know, a number of times, but every time we've watched it, we've been talking over the movie or we've had the, the sound or the, you know, the audio of the movie down. Yeah. So this is really like the first time of all the times watching it that I'm actually paying attention to the dialogue and paying attention to the to the machinations of the plot. And I'm sitting here watching this thing after all these times watching it. It's like, it's a pretty goddamn good movie. So yeah, this is it's it's got something new every time, Mac. I remember whenever I would like reread Watchmen, the twelve issue comic book series by Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore. Every time I would read it, I would like pick up something new, like, oh, look at that little piece of visual symbolism. David I was picking up new stuff. This go, this go around with Roadhouse is blowing my mind. 
I was like, oh my God, who knew this movie was so visually dense? Fuck me, David. It's a rich text. Yeah, it, it is. I might be losing my goddamn mind. <laughs> but before we go any farther, let's clear up some common questions. If you search Roadhouse two words on Google, the results include these frequently asked questions, so we'll do some quickly provided answers. Mac, why is Roadhouse rated R? Because the fucking road is rated R, you know what I mean? Try leaving your house sometime, people ask these questions. America's highways are nothing but drinking, fighting, and fucking. David, are they remaking Roadhouse? Of course they are, it's Hollywood, but they're replacing steel-eyed hunk Patrick Swayze with dead-eyed Neanderthal Jake Gyllenhaal. Mac, what bar is Roadhouse based on? It's based on an actual super rowdy bar in Jasper, Missouri, but they couldn't get the rights to the name, so they had to change it to Double Deuce. But as some listeners may know, the name of the original bar was, of course, Planet Hollywood. What is the plot of Roadhouse? It's the inspiring true story of one man's quest to get a JCPenney in his town. Hey, look, we did it. Before we learn the ancient art of cooling drunks, let's practice being nice to each other. It's time for a friendship check-in. David Hotta, what's bouncing? What's good with you? I'm doing all right. I- I'm actually... I've fallen into superstition, Mac. I enjoyed recording the last episode so much. You know, Punisher Warzone was a lot of fun. And I think a lot of that had to do with my drink setup. So we're going round two, Mac. Got my my four drink system. And so I hope I get good results out of this one. But uh, So wait, what are your four drinks? And you don't have to, I, I know you don't want to give money to Orange Crush after your dispute with them. So you don't have to mention the uh, the brands. Okay, so we've got the OC, we've got, uh, we've got, well, we got coffee, we got a soda, we've got a whiskey, and we've got a water. So I'm a real Chumbawamba song, Mac. That sounds good, David. So, uh, so far, so good? I haven't gotten knocked down yet, so I'm doing all right. Oh, uh, look at that, look at that. You know, I went to the dentist for the first time in a while, not because I'm some weird anti-dentite, it's that my previous dentist would like, uh, they'd be like, hey, we have to reschedule your appointment, uh. Your old dentist quit, and we were getting a new one. And this happened like three times in a row. Jesus. So it's like, all right, haunted office. I got to find a new dentist. And I went to this new person. She's like, hey, you, you're grinding your teeth at night. Among other things, I was like, maybe I should cut back on a little bit of caffeine. And so there was one day last week where I don't think I had a caffeinated beverage until uh, the evening because I had to do some sort of comedy thing. And David, what a fucking hell that was. God damn it. But because it was so shitty, it did make me realize like, ah, oh, no. I need to get this goddamn life in order. So what I'm trying to say is, is uh, I'm really enjoying The Last of Us, and uh, I'm hoping it ends well. That's good. I'm proud of you, buddy. David, is it time to cool it down? Is it time to do this thing? Mac, I think it's time. We're going in. All right, David. Just a level set. Get some people uh, unfamiliar with this thing. Just catch them up a little bit. Can you give the back of the box description for Roadhouse? You bet I can. His name is Dalton. He's the best in the business. A bouncer armed with a cool head, lethal fists, and a degree in philosophy. Patrick Swayze, Dirty Dancing, is the man. A cooler, famous for his ability to handle any drunk. <laughs> That's such a weird I've seen that on the, on the back of so many movie boxes. Yeah. He can handle any drunk. Tall drunks, big drunks, drunks who'd like to climb on rocks. All right, sorry, go ahead. But fist-swinging power drinkers are just part of the problem at the Double Deuce, where a small-town kingpin, Ben Gazzara, is putting the squeeze on the bar's cash register. Cocktail's Kelly Lynch plays the local doctor, as beautiful as she is competent, who tends to more than Dalton's wounds. Oh my god. (laughs) Rugged Sam Elliott, mask fatal beauty, is Dalton's best friend and a guy with an uncanny ability to show up for a fight. From the producer of Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, Roadhouse packs a potent combination of action, romance, and Patrick Swayze's powerful screen presence. 1989, 114 minutes, directed by Rowdy Harrington, rated R. 
Wow, I think this back of the box description was the reason that Kelly Lynch now gets approval over back of box descriptions. <laughs> you don't think she's happy about cocktails, Kelly Lynch? I was going to say the um, as beautiful as she is competent, who tends to more than Dalton's wounds. Well, I think they knew their audience, and I think they were like, "Hey, this doctor's competent." <laughs> it's like, "All right, fine." What did what uh, what else did Roddy Harrington direct? Uh, his career started with Jack's Back, starring James Spader. Uh, he directed uh, Gladiator, not the Oscar-winning one, the boxing movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Striking Distance with Bruce Willis and Sarah Jessica Parker, and that's about it. He's got some action uh, bona fides, I guess. He has made an action movie or two. All right, David, how does this movie start? Oh my gosh, we open on the bandstand. A hot nightclub, possibly somewhere in New York, but with the strip mall good looks of any town USA. It's where we meet Dalton, played by Patrick Swayze. The bar is cooler and lifetime employee of the month. He breaks up a possible sex crime and gets slashed by a knife in the process. Daddy Lake thinks visiting businessman Frank Tillman, played by Kevin Ty, who then offers Dalton a sweet job at his bar just outside of Kansas City in the town of Jasper, Missouri. Hot start to this movie, Mark. Yes. My goodness, David. This club is hopping. This club is hopping. It's full of the wealthy and elite. You've got Lamborghinis pulling up. It's a very sexy opening. But David, a very important person arrives here at the bandstand. Who is it? It's Frank Tillman, played by Kevin Ty. He shows up in a limousine, which, you know, is very fancy. But the the side of the limo says airport limo service. And I I was scratching my head on this one because I don't know if this is important to the movie. It's to let us know, hey, he just arrived in town. Or if this was the movie being cheap. And it was like, this is the best limo we can we can get, we can afford. So let's go ahead and use the airport limo service one. Yeah, I also took note of that. It felt like it undercut any sort of classiness that one <laughs> would get from riding in a limo. It's like if you had to go to the Met Gala and you're wearing this very fancy dress, but inside the, the dress, it's like, Terry, sexy dresses incorporated. You know, like it's sort of, <laughs> you're not helping. But yeah, so Frank Tillman walks in, played by Kevin Ty, who at this point, when we were started doing this uh, Roadhouse show, I think we did the first one, goddamn, was it 07 or 08? 2007, we opened the Ritz with this one. Yeah, wow. So when we first started doing the show and I saw Kevin Ty on the screen, I was like, oh, it's John Locke's dad from Lost. (laughs) That was my point of reference at at the time. Yeah, so Frank Tillman walks in, who's already, you know, gray hair in this movie, and he gets carded? Calm down, bandstand people. You know what I mean? You could, he's over 21. The bandstand is so popular, you'll get kids standing on top of each other's shoulders like, baby powdering their hair to look just like a Frank Tillman type. David, as we've established over the course of this podcast, I'm a stickler for the introduction of characters. Mm-hmm. And I got to say this first look at Dalton, they nailed it, right? Because we get kind of like a camera move. We're getting closer on him. And I think we're kind of rotating around him a little bit. And he's like, everyone else is having a good time. But he's like stoic, except David. He's like bopping his head and time with the music. So this is our first look at Dalton. You know what he looks like, David? He looks fucking cool. You know, so Dalton's overseeing the bar He's kind of keeping an eye on everything going on, and he spots a sex crime going on where this guy's hitting on this gal, and he decides to hit on her by dropping a hundred in front of her, like, "Hey, will you, will you do this for money?" To her credit, bless her heart, she pulls out a knife and just drops it on the hundo. So the guy gets mad for some reason. I guess he, his feelings were hurt, and so Dalton comes in to break it up, and, and the guy says, "Come on, Dalton, you and me." I've always wanted to try you. And I get the sense that he probably hears that at least two times a night where it's just some dick neck who's like, if that Dalton thinks he's a big shit, I bet if I ever get my chance, I'll take him down. And it got me thinking, like, I wonder if Dalton is just living some sort of hellish existence. Like, did you ever read the the original I Am Legend? Did you ever see the Vincent Price Last Man on Earth? No, neither. Okay, well, it's basically like the main character, fucking John Legend, goes... 
out during the day when it's safe, but then at night he holes up and he's just berated by vampires, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all night long, where they're just outside the doors, clawing at him, you know, trying to get him to come out. And I wonder if Dalton has that life, but just for like assholes, where just like all hours of the night they're just like Dalton, Dalton, I want to, you know, I want to try you on. Like, what kind of life is this? So Dalton summons his army of bouncers because he's like the cooler. He's the the in charge of the bouncing staff. He's like, all right, well, you know, gives him a couple nods. Like, fine, you want to you want to fight me? We'll do it outside. And then when he gets these dudes outside, he's just like, up, oh, tricked you. Have a nice night, fellas. And he leaves and he goes back inside. So to your question, is his life like this? I think it is because the key conceit or concept of this movie, I'm not very smart. One of those two. It's got to be. It's got to be one of those two. <laughs> is that Roadhouse is a western? Dalton is like a sheriff. He's like your new sheriff in town. So the fact that this dude who says I always wanted to try you, he slashes Dalton in the shoulder. And the fact that he does not go to jail, they just like throw him out of the saloon, quote unquote. And then that's that. And you're like, well, this is fucking insane right off the bat. Unless, of course, we're dealing with kind of a Western. So there you go. But Dalton, uh, he's uh, kind of too cool to care about being stabbed. And so he goes up to the office uh, upstairs at the bandstand. And he starts like stitching himself up. You see him shirtless, yum, yum, yum. And David, here we have a very special appearance. This movie came out when 1989. But look who it is making a guest role. It is red 70s blood. Yay! Because <laughs> the blood coming out of Dalton's shoulder is as red as a can of Sherman Williams. But then interrupting this solemn little self-stitch, here comes Frank Tillman. And he's got a proposition for Dalton. He's telling him about his bar, the Double Deuce. He's like, I've come into a little bit of money. I got this shitty bar. I want to make it less shitty. I'd, I'd like to make a better life for myself. What does that mean, David? I think he wants, I think he's got bandstands in his eyes and he wants to recreate that feeling. But in Jasper, Missouri, so he bought this bar thinking this is going to be my moneymaker. Frank Tillman's not a very smart guy. You interpreted that as like, I'd like this bar to be my gateway to like generational wealth. Yes, this will be my nest egg. This will be the investment that I could, I can rely on in my later years. We don't really ever get to know anything about Frank Tillman. Do you trust him from this get-go, or is that impossible to shake because you've seen this movie so often? It's impossible to shake because it's Kevin Ty. Every time I watch this movie, I expect him to make a villain turn because he just has like he has an untrustworthy face. To to have him make it the entire length of the movie still being a good guy is astonishing. Yeah, for sure. He he seems like he's definitely a schemer. He's like Dalton. What uh, what's it going to take to get you to do this? And here and here are Dalton's demands. 5000 up front, 500 a night cash. You pay all medical expenses. I can live with that. David, if Dalton is working uh, bip, 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 five nights a week, I quick math, I think that's about $130,000 a year. Not too fucking shabby. I hope the double deuce is raking in a lot of money if they could pay their head bouncer the six digits. And so Frank Tillman's like, I got your plane ticket right here. Dalton says, I don't fly too dangerous, which I guess that's supposed to be just a laugh line. I don't really know if that's, you know, building his character. And then he's like, uh, and then Frank Tillman asks, asks Dalton this. Well, when do I expect you? Oh, I'll get there. So he says, don't expect me. Because David, he's, he's a drifter, right? And drifters got to drift. He'll be there whenever he fucking drifts on down. You know what I mean? What are you going to do, uh, get an ETA from a tumbleweed? Nah, man. Dalton's on. Dalton time. Dalton time. You cracked it. Yeah, that this movie is setting the tone early that, like, Dalton is nobody's employee. Dalton is, you know, is not owned by anybody. He'll get there when he gets there. He'll do things his way. 
it may be frustrating at times, but he's setting the terms. If you're surprised by it, then you're the frog to his scorpion. Yeah, you almost get a sense that why does Dalton do this? I mean, later on, Brad Wesley says, you know, you love beating people up. You love it. I think Dalton kind of tips his hand. He just feels like this is his calling somehow. And he accepts it like, look, you know, someone's, it's a dirty job. Someone's got to do it. I guess it's got to be me. Yeah, I think this is the philosophy angle, you know, or the philosophy degree coming into play here. You know, we're establishing that he's, he, you know, he is kind of very zen about this job. He, you know, he's zen about his life and that's what makes his job doable. We won't establish that or we won't find that out till, till later in the movie. But yeah, we're getting a sense that he's just sort of, he's a gad about. He's kind of a drifter in his own way. And right before Frank Tillman leaves, he looks at Dalton and he said, you know, I thought you'd be bigger, which is the first instance of this recurring joke. So Dalton drives day and night to get to the Double Deuce in Jasper, Missouri. Aside from reuniting with old pal, blind, bluesy band leader Cody, played by Jeff Healy, Dalton's first night on the job does not go well as he arrives on Smash the Bottle Over Someone's Head Night. A brawl breaks out. Dalton doesn't lift a finger and quickly makes an enemy of current bouncer Morgan, played by pro wrestling legend Terry Funk. So on Dalton's way out of town, when he's leaving whatever town the bandstand is in, right, he drives like this beat-up old Buick to a parking garage where he exchanges the Buick for what his actual car is, which is a very nice, I believe it's a Mercedes-Benz, right? Yeah, that's right. He's got a Mercedes just locked up in that garage there, and he's pulling it out. So once Dalton arrives in Jasper, Missouri, he arrives at Double Deuce, which is, yeah, the place is a fucking you know, rowdy mess. However, the house band is someone that Dalton knows. It's Cody, played by you know real-life musician Jeff Healy. David, we get a lot of performances by Jeff Healy and his band throughout this movie. How would you describe the genre style of Jeff Healy's music? Uh, bar rock? Is that a thing? Because, like, it's... Okay, so let's break down what it is. It's a bluesy sort of rock and roll. Yeah. It's mostly covers. That is bars. That is just... Okay. There's a there's a cover band in the corner. That's how I would categorize it. Well, David, uh, I ask because I fucking hate it. <laughs> times I've watched this thing, maybe the first time through like the 79th time, I was like, I could not stand it. But then, David, as a lot of what happens when we watch these things for Master Pancake, at some point, I start to like it. And so now when we caught up with Jeff Healy this time, I was singing along to it. I was like, take a tear from the daily blue. <laughs> like i just i was rocking out to it but i don't i didn't feel good i mean well that's not true i felt great uh i felt uh, alive for the first time that's the definition that's the mission of every bar band you go to like a dave and busters on a night when you don't think there's a there's supposed to be a band there and a band shows and be like oh great but then by the fourth song, you're singing along to Traveling Band, and this is it's a fun time. At some point, David, uh, one of the songs that gets played is uh, Hoochie Coochie Man, which I, uh, <laughs> please join my class action lawsuit against whoever wrote that song. I, I just, uh, that's one toke over the line. But when Dalton arrives at this bar, he's looking around, and it's kind of like that Simpsons episode, uh, Springfield Connection, where Marge becomes a cop, and she's just like looking around at all these like small violations and crimes that are happening. Everywhere... Dalton looks something like illegal is happening or some sort of like, it's like a bar of errors, right? He's got like big principal energy here because he's just looking around me and that's not right. That's not how you do it. This guy's stealing from the till. Uh, this dude's uh, dealing drugs. Uh, you know, uh, a bunch of bad shit going down. You ever play a game or you ever hear of a game called like, oh gosh, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's like Power Washer Simulator. It's basically, it's a video game where everything's dirty and you just move your controller over the dirty spots and you get it clean. 
I, I have to imagine that's what Dalton sees the sees this bar as, where it's just like, this is going to be a fun game. I get to clean this up. But the problem with Dalton keeping a low profile, David, is that Dalton is fucking hot. And so the one uh, barmaid, Carrie Ann, she comes up and she introduces herself. She's like, hi, my name's Carrie Ann. And Dalton's like, yeah, real nice. I don't give a shit. Uh, do you got a name? And he's like, yeah. And then like, just that's, that's all he was going to say. And she's like, well, what is it? And he turns around and he's like, Dalton. And she's like, oh, I heard of you. Now, here's the thing. Dalton is being a real fucking dick to Carrie Ann. Just, it costs nothing to be nice. Something that you can't shut up about in 20 minutes. But at the same time, that turnaround is like, Dalton. That's fucking cool, David. That's cool. That's a cool way to let people know you're here. It's a, it's a weird thing because, like, if you look at this as a script, not knowing who's cast in it, not knowing how it plays out or whatever, it really does play like a Western. It's a man of few words. You know, so, so an interaction like this wouldn't normally strike you as odd. But it's Patrick Swayze. It's a charismatic guy. I I want to see him like I want to see him hit on Carrie Ann. I want to see him. I want to see Carrie Ann like you know get lifted off the ground because she's swooning so hard. But for him to make this decision, it's it's an interesting way to go. But something has arrived before Dalton, David. The legend of Dalton. The legend of Dalton, indeed. Uh, so some you know some of the bouncers are standing around some of the bar staff, and they're swapping stories about what they've heard about Dalton. And one of them is he killed a guy. He, he apparently he ripped his throat right out. And, you know, the guy who's being told this does not believe it. You know, knowing what I know about the movie, I know it's inevitable. I know it's coming. But like, you know, I have to imagine watching this movie for the first time, like in theaters when it came out. There's no way you expect that to pay off. Ripped a guy's throat out. I've never I've never heard of such a thing. It's great. It sounded like completely over the top bullshit stuff. And there's no way it's going to be Dalton's signature kill move <laughs> later in the movie. We also see Frank Tillman enter the bar and he walks past uh, the payphone and someone has scrolled on the wall for a good fuck and then they wrote a number. He goes and he changes the F to a B and adds an I and now it says for a good Buick. I used to make a joke about this in the show that if somebody would call that number, uh, whoever picks up is, is ready to hand out a good fuck and next thing another answering questions about a Buick that they probably don't have. So David, this, this bar is about to you know, break out into a giant fight and the inciting incident, David, is uh, one gentleman, one patron of the bar, turns to a couple other uh, sleeveless dudes and he goes, hey, do you like my wife's boobs? Tell you what, you want to kiss them? You can kiss each breast, 10 a kiss. Now, David, this guy making this offer is voice actor Chris Lotta, who I believe uh, was the voice of Starscream and Cobra Commander. You know, he offers up his, his wife's chest and some guys are like, are you kidding? And so they go over there. She she takes off her top. She's got a, a brazier on. And so the guy just starts rounding second with her. He's just, you know, playing with her chest, giving her a good grope. And so <laughs> not a bad grope, mind you. Yeah. Chris Lotta loves getting cucked. And he's like, all right, let's get the show on the road. When are you going to kiss him? And the guy says, I, I ain't got 20 bucks. So Chris Lotta's like, no, sir. And so the, the fight breaks out. Chris Lotta immediately punches this dude. And this dude becomes a domino. He bumps into another dude who also starts punching people. And then next thing you know, it's a giant bronca. The guy who made that deal, quote unquote, the guy who was like uh, groping the breasts, he presumably gets a shit beaten out of him. Do you think he regretted that move? No, no more groping for me unless I have the money to, uh, you know, squeeze the Charmin. No, no, not for one second. I think this was the highlight of his week. I think I think he gets hit. And beat up so many times throughout the week anyway. I'm just like, oh, I took too many free samples from the Chick-fil-A and I also looked up a gal's skirt. Like, I, I think he just lives that kind of life. I'll tell you who might regret it, though, is is Chris Lada. Like, what the hell is he going to get out of it besides $20? Like, I, that the car ride home must have been icy cold. I mean, I think you said it. That's how he uh, this couple gets their jollies, right? 
he's just uh he's a corner cricket right he's just he's in there just watching some some cucking some sucking and a little bit of uh fucking david and so once this fight breaks out david the the current bouncing staff for the double deuce they do not cool things down if anything they make things way worse and one of the people one of the hotheads working this club is named morgan and he is played by professional wrestling legend terry funk I watched uh, wrestling, you know, kind of early, mid-90s and took a break and then came back like around the, you know, attitude era of WWF when, you know, Stone Cold, The Rock were popping off and then NWO, et cetera, and WCW. So the only exposure I had to Terry Funk was when he came back in like January 2000. I'm sick of the lawlessness here in WCW. We got a new commissioner in town, Terry Funk. And I was like, who the fuck is Terry Funk? And this dude came out who looked like a guy who'd been beaten up his entire life and his knees were bad and he couldn't like really move. Please stop. Please get him out of the ring. In fact, what was that? Uh, there was that wrestling documentary, right? What was it called? Uh, Beyond the Mat, yeah. I think that was filmed before this WCW return. And in that movie, Terry Funk's storyline was like, you're killing yourself by wrestling still. Yeah. Uh, by taking all these bumps. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like the movie The Wrestler, except uh, not as much fireman sex. But seeing Terry Funk in this movie, like, so spry and, like, moving around and everything, it blew my mind. I was like, my God, look at him. He's gorgeous. The way he moves. Time is just, it's cruel to us. It's cruel. So it's time for Dalton to do some retail therapy. He buys a new smashable car and secures himself a sweet bachelor pad in the barn of local horse enthusiast Emmett, played by Sunshine Parker. During a staff meeting at Double Deuce, Dalton cleans house and takes out the trash, meaning he fires the super aggro Morgan. Dalton then lays out the new house rules and a little zen wisdom. We also meet Brad Wesley, played by Ben Gazzara, the local supervillain shaking down every business in town. David, this viewing revealed something to me, and it is something that you probably know from watching the movie so much, but it did not crystallize until this last go-around for me. Everyone in this movie has business. And what I mean by that is no one is just sitting, no one is just waiting, everyone is doing something. Like when we first see the hospital later on, there's a man in a hospital gown walking in the background. David, that's not enough. He has to be carrying a little jar of urine, right? Everyone always has business. The man, Big T Auto Sales, he's like watching TV, but he's unwrapping a sandwich. Once I picked up on that, that everyone in this movie has fucking business, I loved it so much. If you haven't watched this movie in a while and you're listening to this podcast, it's worth a rewatch just to pay attention to people in the background. Everyone in this movie feels like they have a full character. <laughs> like, I just, like, you in the background. What's your story? I want to see it. I just said it like two minutes ago, Mac. Please don't make me watch this movie again. But as you're saying that, I'm sitting here thinking about, like, you know, later on in the movie when, uh, when the bad guys are just kind of hanging out, talking about, like, ladies they've hooked up with. One of the guys is, like, scratching his back with a shotgun. Yeah, it's exactly. Like <laughs> There's, I guarantee you in the script it didn't say, uh, bartender Pat scratches his back with the handle of a shotgun. I mean, his dialogue, which is, hey, remember that blonde? She could suck start a Harley. That was, that's his fucking dialogue later in the movie. I mean, maybe that was the script. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. So he, Dalton buys a, a car, you know, to get beaten up, right? Because he's going to, like, store his Mercedes Benz, but he wants a car to drive to work. So if someone is mad at him and like smashes it, which they do, that it's not, you know, a very expensive car. And so the car he buys, I looked it up. It's a 1965 Buick Rivera, or Riviera, excuse me. And one of the key features of the Riviera is that it has like these kind of uh, covers for the headlights. Like you flip a little switch and these like, uh, they're almost like little metal like shields come out and like cover the headlights. 
It was the 1965 Buick Riviera, the only year that Buick used the clamshell headlight covers. The other car that he drives near the beginning of the movie, before picking up his bins, was a 1964 Buick Riviera. David, did Buick pay for their involvement in this movie? Because if they did, it's the fucking weirdest thing. Because here's what I know about Buicks. They're cheap-ass cars. It's okay if they get destroyed. And then also, you know, if you take away some letters, the Buick can be easily turned into the word fuck. This is insane. This I, I have no response for that. That is, they have to have, right? Or like, they have to have signed off on it at the very least, if not get some kind of compensation. But it it's adding up too much and it's really bumming me out. Maybe they just agreed not to sue? I don't think this puts Buick in a good light. Although when you saw the clamshell, like, headlight covers and then the 65 Riviera, I know I was like, ooh, that's cool. Like, I just, I don't know what to fucking make of this. But also at this point, that's a 24-year-old car in 1989. So uh, I'm at a loss. This movie has a weird relationship with Buicks. Yeah, it does. Yes, at the very least. So he arrives at this barn, excuse me, this farm, where Emmett, played by Sunshine Parker, has a room to rent. And his room is in the second floor of a barn. And this, this might not shock you, David, but the rent is not very much. But they're talking about stuff, Emmett and Dalton. And then all of a sudden, tick, 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 we hear some helicopter blades. What's going on here? So here comes the helicopter and here comes our villain of the movie. That's going to be Brad Wesley. He lives across the pond, I guess, from Emmett. I mean, let's break this down. It's Jasper, Missouri. Mm-hmm. What could possibly be there? Who could possibly be there? And you've got Brad Wesley landing in a helicopter. That is one of the all-time dick entrances. That is just, man, this guy's a dick. And 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 I'm going to love him for it throughout this movie. Descending from the heavens like a god himself. Yes, Brad Wesley setting a tone right away that uh, he is the lord of this town. But Emmett is mad because the helicopter scares his horses. But as soon as the helicopter lands, and very abruptly, Emmett turns around and he begins to interview Dalton. And he says, like, do you like horses? And then Dalton says, they like me. He's, for some reason, he's, like, very jokey and smiley and laughy with Emmett. I don't know why he, like, instantly likes Emmett. And then Emmett says, you wouldn't steal him, would you? And then Dalton, like, the smile disappears from his face so fast. He's so deadly serious. He's like, I would never do that. Like, it just, it's like, whoa, Dalton understood, like, horse thief? No, sir. Like, just, first of all, the question, you wouldn't steal him, would you? I mean, that's that's how you find a horse thief. You just ask him, would you steal horses? And they, you know, they're compelled to answer yes. And then he says this. It ain't the money, you understand, but if I don't charge you something, then the Presbyterians around here are likely to pray for my ruination. How does $100 a month strike you? Fine. You can afford that much? If it keeps you in the good graces of the church. Ain't it peculiar how money seems to do that very thing? Uh, what's up with these Presbyterians? Like, mind your own goddamn business. Dalton was about to get a sweet deal on a pad. <laughs> and like, I, I, Mac, do you, can you make sense of this? Is this like a, 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 a church shakedown that I'm unaware of? Yeah, what it is. Why would the Presbyterians care? It's not like a tithe or anything. I have no idea. It ain't the money. So why does he want to even rent this room like because if he doesn't need the money if it's not the money i mean is it just because he has a space and he hates it's going to waste or do you think he's lonely what do you think what's what's image motivation here i think there's a, a kindness to him you know he is sort of he is a kind person throughout the movie so i i just he is a vehicle to to get dalton in this town without any sort of Without anyone caring about him, really, because like if he just like rented out a room in somebody's home, then you'd have the sort of nosy neighbor angle. But Emmett's just the perfect kind of here's a place, here's the keys, keep it down. So Dalton calls a team meeting at the Double Deuce, 
and he fires some people. But Dalton lays out his rules for cooling because there's no part in this movie where he's like, yo, here's what it means to be a cooler. But we get basically that, you know, the cooler is basically like the bouncer captain, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things that I'm sure people experience a lot is when you see a movie a bunch, there are small little like idiosyncrasies that you tend to fixate on. There's a shot here where one of the remaining bouncers, Hank, Hank says like, yeah, that's real nice. But a lot of guys who come in here, we can't handle one-on-one or even two-on-one. And he's kind of got this like weird, soft delivery. And the way the camera moves, David, for some reason, that shot is haunting. Like, I don't know why, but it's like one of my favorite shots of the movie. He's not panicky, but kind of like, hey, we're losing this fight. Like, it's just, I don't know what it is. It's great. Same, 100%. Uh, that's, that's one of the shots I was thinking of when I was giving credit to Dean Cundy earlier, because yeah. We're in the beginning of the second act. He's just kind of, you know, laying out the ground rules, but the camera manages to get like a certain weight out of it, manages to yeah. get like a certain, you know, he, he means what he says. He's, he's worried about these guys coming into this bar. I, there's fantastic elements to this movie. And that's, that's definitely one of them. But, you know, Dalton's laying out his ground rules. Basically his, his major point is to tell people, you know, be nice until it's time to not be nice. You know, if someone's, in your face, you, you, you take it, give them a smile, that sort of thing. And then one of the guys comes back and he's like, oh, yeah? What if someone calls my mom a whore? And then Dalton says, well, is she? And, you know, of course she's not. You know, the, you shouldn't take offense because it's not true. But, like, what the hell was this guy thinking he was going to get out of this? Did he really think he stumped him where he's like, what if someone calls my mom a whore? And Dalton's just like, ah, I hadn't thought of that. Oh, God, if someone called my mom a whore, I would murder them. Um, <laughs> I'd kill them dead. But, again, uh, that dude gets pissed off. That dude is named Steve, and he, I don't think, will last long under Dalton's reins. The first night under new management goes great, inasmuch as no one gets killed, and Dalton gets to fire the bartender, Pat, played by John Doe from the band X. What? That's yeah, that's true. He was skimming from the till. Bye, John Doe. Uh, the next morning, Dalton gets words of warning from bar waitress Carrie Ann, played by Kathleen Wilhoyt. Wesley also displays some of his amazing small-town villainy by swerving down a two-lane road and shaking down local auto parts merchant, Red Webster, played by Red West. Okay, the first night, he's, you know, there's a fight there. It starts because this guy is like, hey, I want my lady to dance on the table, and, you know, we can't have that. This is a classy place where you could go drink. This fight got out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah, the people in this town are, are insane. So his girlfriend starts dancing on the table, and this dude is loving it. Dalton looks over at Hank, and he gives him a little nod. He's like, you know, cool this down. And Hank tries to nicely get the lady down. But this dude in the Hawaiian shirt is ready to fucking kill someone. And I guess he's ready to stab a dude to death. I guess there's an unspoken crazy meth problem in Jasper, Missouri, because this town is fucking aggressive. This is nothing unusual. This is how I've seen people handle the service industry. Like, if you've ever worked somewhere and it's like, and like a menu changes or a policy changes, or you just, you know, you have to tell a guest, we don't take that coupon anymore. They'll slit your hippie throat. <laughs> yeah. I, no joke, David. I was at the uh, Alamo Draft House. Someone brought in outside drinks. They were like Yeti cups full of, I, I'm guessing, alcohol. And the server was like, hey, we don't allow outside drink. And uh, the customer pulled out a bazooka. Oh, gosh. Just all was left with some smoking boots. <laughs> because our, our, I guess the, the place is the cooler wasn't working. The Remember the bouncing staff who earlier in the film asked Dalton, Oh, yeah, what if someone calls my mama a whore? That man's name is Steve. Mm -hmm. And Steve is a horn dog uh, to the point where, and I say horn dog, Dave, but I do mean he's a sex criminal. Because as we see earlier in the scene, he is allowing some underage girls to come into the bar so he could fuck them. 
Yes. Dalton walks in on him in the storage room, doggy styling somebody. And he's like, you're going to be my new Saturday night thing, baby. And Dalton walks in. And he's like, hey, Steve, you're, you're fired. And then Steve goes, but I'm on my break. And he's like, stay on it, which is great. Yeah. When Dalton walked in, Steve uh, pulled up his tidy whities which I guess were around his thighs. When Dalton left, David, did Steve finish fucking? Fucking no. Did he finish? Yes. Okay. Once the once the shorts come up, they're not going back down. Well, I guess they have to come back down. You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> it takes two to tingo, though. The girl who, who Steve was was having sex with, after Steve got fired, did that like you know did that kill the mood for her at all, or was she just like, look, we're we're fucking. You need to finish. The mood. I think she's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. The romance. You think they did not finish fucking? I'll, I'll bet he got where he needed to go. Yeah, I don't think... It, I think he wrapped it up pretty early. And by... I don't mean condom. I don't think he was using one. No. I think he just was like, well, let's... let's God damn it. Like, you know, he's probably mad, but at the same time, he's like, well, where do you think you're going? Let's finish this. Yeah. I'd pay a million dollars that... that uh, an or- she did not get to have an orgasm. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, no. I don't think Steve was like, now, hold on here. I'm pissed. I just got fired. Let me, let me have that clip. Like, I don't think he was... Really concerned about her needs. So, you know, the night doesn't go well. There's a little fight and stuff like that. So Dalton goes home after a, after a long day, and he's relaxing by the window. He's reading a book, and across the way, you hear a party happen, and here comes a cover of Blue Monday, affordable music, and uh, and Brad Wesley's throwing a party. He's like, how big do you think this town is, Mac? Like, what percentage of that town is at that party? I don't know. I mean, because there's a Ford dealership later in the movie that has a lot of people in it. I mean, in Texas terms, you know, it's it's not even Abilene. No. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, and some of the people that were at the party were people that I think got fired earlier that night. Brad Wesley's like, ah, oh, some of my supervillain crew are uh, bummed out. Let's have a late night pool party to cheer everyone up. But David, this has got to be three in the morning at the earliest. So uh, over Brad Wesley estate, the parties go all night long. But that's why you get a Brad Wesley estate. That's why you get something by the pond. So you could have these 3 a.m. parties with the biggest losers in Jasper, Missouri. But Dalton gets woken up the next morning by Carrie Ann. You know, Dalton's like, oh, great. How did you find me? So Dalton is just like no patience with Carrie Ann. Why? Is it just he feels like, oh, this chick's going to fall in love with me? Like, (laughs) Why does he instantly hate Carrie Ann so much? I don't know. That's a really good question. Like, I want to sit here and defend him and say, oh, he doesn't hate Carrie Ann. He just blah, blah, blah. But I don't have a blah, blah, blah. He just every every interaction with Carrie Ann, at best, he's curt with her. Yeah, and then later in the movie, he takes her from a waitress and he gives her a shot at singing with the band. And the idea is that, like, Dalton sees talent in her or something like that. Which, I, I mean, again, that, that happened uh, off screen, I guess, because we didn't see it. But also, if he hates Carrie Ann, if he doesn't want to like lead her on, when he gets out of bed, he doesn't. He makes no effort to hide uh, his super tight buns. Yeah. And we get a shot of a reaction shot of Carrie Ann when she sees uh, those power cheeks, and she's like, "Ha ha yeah, ha ba 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 ba." I mean, seriously, those things are like uh, Rocky Balboa's clinched fist. Those are tight. And she brings him a coffee and a donut, and Dalton like touches the donut like it was a human ear. He was like, "Ugh, gross! <laughs> I don't want to eat this fucking donut." But then he's also doing this while a cigarette is hanging outside of his mouth. So it's like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Joe Camel. I didn't know you were a health nut. Or is he doing that just to nag Carrie Ann? Who is like, don't bring me donuts. I'm more of a cigarettes man. Like now, now that you've mentioned it, I'm really, I'm really wondering what the dynamic was supposed to be between Dalton and Carrie Ann. Yeah, Dalton's being a little bit of a dick. Carrie Ann's like, what'd you do last night? I can't believe you fired Pat, the bartender. That's gonna have repercussions. 
Yeah, you know, Dalton fires Pat, you know, he's skimming off the till. He's, you know, overselling shots, you know, he, he's he's underpouring drafts. He's doing all the stuff that you can kind of do to nickel and dime a bar. Carrie Ann comes over the next day and she's like, you shouldn't have done that. And she even says, like, I think I'm looking at a dead man. We have no idea yet how powerful Pat is. Like, but I love that he's just this loser. Like, you know, he he got caught nickel and diming this bar. Yeah, what are, what are the power dynamics in Jasper, Missouri, where I have to worry about firing Pat? Well, David, we get that question partially answered because we get reintroduced to Brad Wesley here, and we get reintroduced to him. He's driving down the road, but David, he's not staying in his lane. He's driving his red sports car, and he's swerving in and out of two lanes while he sings along to this like, doo-wop song, like, shabada-da-dun-dun, shabada-da-boom-boom-boom. And uh, David, what do you think about this, this uh, character moment here for Brad Wesley? And I do mean it's a character moment. I think it is the best, you know, because there's not a lot you can do. You know, he's not Lex Luthor. He's not, you know, the villain of Metropolis. He's just some small town dick. One of the reasons you love being in a small town is you don't have to worry about traffic or maniacs. So he's he's not going to let that happen. He's going to be the maniac for you. Beautiful. I love it so much. What about you, Mac? In the previous viewings of this movie, this moment struck me as silly. But it wasn't until, again, this viewing that I came to fully appreciate it. I loved it. Yeah, he, it's basically saying, like, I'm above the law in this small town. I can do anything I want, showing that by the fact that he's just like, I don't give a shit about traffic. If 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 uh, someone trying to avoid hitting me crashes their car, I don't give a shit. And the fact that he's like, every time, he's just like crooning along to this song. It's like perfect, like Mr. Burns style super villainy. And it just says, I own this town. Why wouldn't I? Just so, uh, so funny. I fucking loved it. Yeah, he doesn't even break, you know, his song. He's not like, whoa, or anything like that. He's a, he's a cool cucumber. It's it's a terrific introduction to him. And then we see him later at uh, at Red's, at the auto parts place, because he's there to shake him down. And he's brought his favorite little toy. He's brought uh, uh, his muscle Jimmy, played by Marshall Teague. This movie does a great job of building Brad Wesley. And I'm going to say it right now. I think Brad Wesley might be the best villain we have on the mountain. Uh, because of, of just little moments like this, every moment we see with Brad Wesley... He's not being good. He's not being kind. It, you know, that's it's what you want out of a villain. I think he's terrific in this. And the scene where Brad Wesley and Jimmy arrive at Red's Auto Parts, it's the first time we get to hear Brad Wesley talk for any sort of extended period of time. And let's talk about Ben Gazira for a moment. I don't know how familiar you are with Ben Gazira. I've, I think I've only seen him in three movies. It's possible that I've seen him in something I didn't remember it. But off the top of my head, I've seen him in this, in Buffalo 66, and in Anatomy of a Murder. Mm-hmm. opposite uh, Jimmy Stewart. And there's something about all three of these roles where you just get this vibe that there is a unhappy, a deep-seated unhappiness inside Ben Gazzara's characters. Like there's something inside of him where it's like, these are all three very unhappy people and your misery delights them. I have not, maybe in his other films, he's like a happy go, he's fucking Robin Williams or something. I don't know. I never saw Husbands. There's something really just uh, toxic inside of, of, of Brad Wesley and then uh, those other characters as well. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I'm thinking of the only other thing I've seen him in is going to be the killing of a Chinese bookie, and you're at, you're spot on with that assessment too. It's just you know he gets his strength from feeling untouchable, like he doesn't quite care what happens to him because he knows he's going to come out on top. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And then we cut back to Emmett Snoopsberry Farm because Emmett is doing some snooping. <laughs> he lifts up uh, the uh, car cover or whatever, and he sees that Dalton is driving a Benz. And he's kind of like, what? And he looks over and he sees what Dalton is up to. Dalton is doing some shirtless Tai Chi out by the lake. And you got to hand it to Patrick Swayze here because these shots have 
of Dalton practicing Tai Chi are not short. Mm-hmm. The fact that Patrick Swayze is like, let's put on the fucking brakes in this ultimate dude bro movie just to show Dalton some doing some like very beautiful like Tai Chi against either a late afternoon sun or early morning sun. I don't I don't remember which one. But when when we cut back to Emmett after watching uh, the very sexy Dalton doing these moves, Emmett looks legit scared at Dalton's Tai Chi. Why? This is something I don't understand and it terrifies me. I mean, you know, we, we made the joke before where it's like it might be awakening something in Emmett that he's not ready to comprehend. But like, I honestly can't think of another explanation for it because, you know, it's not worry. It's not like, oh, no, Dalton's going to kill somebody. It's not worry that, oh, no, Dalton's not going to be able to take care of himself in a fight. I truly do not know what is causing the look on Emmett's face. Because Brad Wesley drives up in a four wheeler and he, he's also peeping at Dalton. And he kind of shakes his head like, it takes all kinds, I guess. But Emmett, when he sees Dalton doing those moves, my generation's time has come to an end. (laughs) My friends, my family, my peers, we are ghosts upon this earth. It is now the time of another class of people. So with regard to that, you know, you bring up an interesting point because they do spend a lot of time watching him Tai Chi. Was this supposed to be a date movie? Because the box said, you know, the box talks about like the romance in this movie. Was this supposed to be? Was this supposed to be a little something for the ladies? I think this is absolutely a date movie, uh, David. Because if you leave the theater watching Roadhouse and you're not horned up to the elevens, then I God help you. You know what I mean? God help you. <laughs> anyway, back to the double deuce. It's another boring night at the bar. Just your typical beatdowns, corruption, and attempted murder. Pat returns with two of Wesley's goons, O'Connor and Tinker, Michael Ryder and John Young, respectively and knife demands that things go back to the way they were. Dalton and crew win the ensuing fight, but Dalton gets slashed with a knife and has to go to America's sexiest hospital, where Dalton flirts with Doc, played by Kelly Lynch, and eagerly shares a bit more of his backstory. So we get to meet some of the goons. We get to meet uh, O'Connor and Tinker. Tinker's going to end up being one of my favorite people in the movie, maybe the MVP. The thing about Brad Wesley's goons is, so he's got Jimmy, who can like actually fight, and he's like an actual like uh, capable murderer. But all these other goons, it's a real ragtag bunch. O'Connor looks like a pencil pusher that's like made to take abuse, right? So the fact that O'Connor is like, he's the bully in this scene. Brad Wesley has been the unchecked power in this town for so long that uh, goobers like O'Connor thinks that he's a king shit of the double deuce town, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, O'Connor has been perfectly fine to be the muscle in this town. But then when you see the actual fight between Dalton and O'Connor in the bar, and it's just like Dalton beating up on some shoe salesman who got fired for drinking on the job. It's like, this is ridiculous, but I love it. And so Pat is like, yeah, yeah. You hear that, Dalton? I, I get my job back and, and you got to go and, and, and everything's going to be great. And, and fuck you, Dalton. And he pulls out his knife and he's like, so again, so quickly ready to murder Dalton. It's like everyone in this town is on Joker gas. They're just like insane. <laughs> the bloodlust in this town. It's again, I mean, if it's a Western and like someone is mouthing off at a saloon and they pull a gun, you, that would not surprise you. But since we're in, uh, you know, late 80s Jasper, Missouri at this bar, yeah, it's a little surprising that uh, people are, are willing to commit capital crimes uh so easily but i actually i appreciate this movie's use of knives i appreciate this era's use of knives because like you know if you were were to replace all the knives in this movie with guns the stakes suddenly get risen to a point where it's like oh my god you know everyone could die but like there's something about making it knives and making it fisticuffs and stuff like that that when people die it's kind of earned if that's not a a creepy thing to say like Mm -hmm. you know 
I think it's great. So this fight here, I would not call it an action set piece, but it is definitely a fight. And David, I don't know who won the Stunty Awards in 1989, but I feel like it should have been Roadhouse because there's something about the fighting in this scene. It's so enjoyable. It's just pretty much punching with a you know an occasional kick or two because at some point Dalton kicks Pat through a glass window. Yeah, everyone does such a great job selling the punches. If you get punched, whoever the character is, the actor that is getting punched, it looks like they legit are getting smacked in the head with a sledgehammer. Here, they've listened to a couple of these like punches, these sound effects. <laughs> It's not too brutal. It's plenty brutal. It's the kind of brutal you would feel if you were watching a fight in a bar. It, it, this is very effective. I, Like you said, it's not quite an action set piece. I don't quite mark out for it, but it's like watching an, an honest-to-God fight, and it's really fun. Yeah, you're right. The the uh, sound effects there, it's not like, oh, uh, I'm beating a man to death, and the punches have kind of like a wet sound to them as you like turn someone's brains into applesauce. No, it just, it sounds like a movie punch should sound. Add all that together and the fights in this movie are so watchable. I just, Mm -hmm. I I really like them. Frank Tillman, does he actually get any punches in? He gets punched himself. He gets punched himself and then we kind of lose him for a little bit as we follow Dalton and O'Connor. The next time we see Frank, Dalton's done with O'Connor. He's, you know, the fight's dying down. Dalton looks up at the office window and Frank's just kind of like, he gives him like a little power fist. Like, hey, we did it. You know, we're number one. Frank has to be the world's most chill boss. Like, we've already seen Dalton, like, first time he gets there, there's a fight. He does nothing. This time, like, he leaves early. He leaves work early to go to the hospital. And Frank is just on board with all of this. Like, I want a boss like this. Yeah, so Tinker does manage to slash Dalton in the ribs. But you're right. Tillman gives him that, like, we did it fist. And then Dalton looks at him, and he doesn't give him anything. He doesn't give him a nod. He almost kind of looks like exhausted by Tillman. And then, you know, he kind of like, you know, lumbers out of the bar to go to the hospital. At this point in the movie, do you like Dalton? What what vibe are you getting from Dalton as a as a employee, coworker, boss here? Yeah, I only like him because A, it's Patrick Swayze and B, the movie wants me to. Like, I know he's the protagonist of this movie. I'm going to follow him along and see where he takes me. But up until this point in the movie, he's just a real dick. Like, he doesn't want to be there which I get. He like I don't really get the sense that he's passionate about this project of getting the double deuce up and running. It, yeah, I, I don't particularly care for him. Why, why do you ask, Mac? Yeah, because Dalton is pretty much acting like above it all throughout from this point in the movie. He's like a dude who just finished Infinite Jest and you know just can't wait. Like That's his whole personality. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He's like Dr. Manhattan. He's like, I'm tired of Earth, these people. Like he's just He is just removed from it. But then, yeah. So he goes to the hospital. We see some more amazing background work. In walks Doc, played by Kelly Lynch, to treat him. And she says she's going to give him some, some staples. Dalton also hands her his file, which I guess is his medical records, right? And she asks Dalton if uh, he wants some anesthetic. Well, Mr. Dalton, you may add nine staples to your dossier of 31 broken bones, two bullet wounds, nine puncture wounds, and four stainless steel screws. That's an estimate, of course. I'll give you a local. No, thank you. Do you enjoy pain? Pain don't hurt. David, pain don't hurt. Here we go. It's Dalton saying this, proving that he is uh, a superhuman above such concerns as, like, uh, pain, David. Yeah, that's supposed to be philosophical, but pain does hurt, Mac. It hurts a lot. This is a dumb thing to say. It's a dumb thing to say, but give some credit to Patrick Swayze. He manages to toss it off in such a casual way. 
It's the kind of line where he says it, and then you in the theater go, pain don't hurt. Like, you just repeat it to yourself. And you're like, <laughs> no, no, that's dumb. That's dumb. But the doc says, uh, in your file, it says you went, you have a degree from NYU. What the fuck is in this file? I feel like he added stuff. I feel like he knew he was going to carry this with him wherever he went. So it was like, oh, I'll put, uh, here's a college essay that I wrote that I really liked. How did that get in there? But upon leaving, she turns around and she goes, oh, you know, for your kind of work, because he mentioned he's a bouncer, I thought you'd be bigger. Now, every other time you hear this line, it's like someone is like teasing him, mm-hmm. right? Like Frank Tillman comes to hire Dalton. He obviously holds Dalton in high esteem. And so by saying like, hey, uh, I thought you'd be bigger. It's just kind of like a, a joke or whatever. But the fact that the doctor says it, she pretty much is saying like, hey, you're small. Like it just is kind of dunking on him as he leaves, which I got to say, I like. Good move, doctor. So Brad Wesley is not happy with his Jasper Improvement Society and encourages them to put the screws to the townsfolk, starting with tearing up Red's place and shaking him down for more protection money. Time for Dalton to call in the best cooler in the business, as voted by the readers of Coolers World magazine, Wade Garrett, played by Sam Elliott. I'm used to seeing Sam Elliott with like a big, bushy mustache and close-cropped hair, but here it is the opposite. He does have a beard, but it's, it kind of feels more like a little bit of leftover stubble, and he's got a long head of hair. This part of the movie, it begins with Tinker, O'Connor, and Pat returning to Brad Wesley's place to basically be like, hey, we... We fuck, you know, we we failed in our mission to resecure the double deuce. And this is another amazing scene from Brad Wesley. Because he immediately dismisses Pat. He's like, he's got a poor constitution. Now someone here owes me an apology. And Tinker apologizes. And but so does O'Connor, but uh but Brad Wesley is not having it. No, he he doesn't quite trust O'Connor, and he even tells him why. He's like, you know, I I don't like you, O'Connor. I don't trust you. And you know why? And O'Connor doesn't know, so so Brad Wesley decides to just punch him in the face, and he says, you're a bleeder, which, man, if that's not the best, <laughs> like, how do you checkmate that? You know, like, I am a bleeder. He punched me, and now I'm bleeding. Like, we you punch him and not bleed? This is, Brad Wesley is really great at doing those things that you don't have a counter move to. And so after he beats up O'Connor, including, I think, a nut shot, he's like, well, pick him up, pick him up. And he's like, you know what, Connor? You're going to be all right. You know why? Because I like you. And then O'Connor smiles, and then for no goddamn reason, Brad Wesley gives him one more punch to the fucking face. God, I love it. It was my mark. It was my first mark out moment. <laughs> there we I, go. I'm chanting Roadhouse when he nails that dude in the face. <laughs> he's, he's he owns his dude's head. You know, he's like, I like you. I don't. I like you. I don't. Like it's just so silly. Good stuff, movie. But then we go to another night at the Double Deuce, and another fight started by Wesley's men. Dalton and the DD crew win the fight, and Dalton sneaks away for a quick date with Doc. The next morning, Dalton is invited to meet with Wesley, who offers Dalton an opportunity to work for him. Dalton says, no dice. So we, we open up back at the Double Deuce. This is going to be Carrie Ann's night to, to sing. She's singing Knock on Wood. But all of a sudden, David, the Double Deuce is looking kind of nice. The chicken wire in front of the bar is gone. The clientele is looking a little classier. They all have shirts and sleeves on. Carrie Ann has moved from uh, slinging drinks, and now she's part of the entertainment. Yeah, they put carpet down on the stage, which is not the best idea for this bar, but, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. So, David, another character we haven't talked about yet, a blonde, a very attractive blonde lady named Denise, and her character description is attractive blonde lady. You know, she's, like, been flirting with Dalton this whole time. But, then David, the flirting is now over because she straight up is like, let's go back to my place and fuck. But at some moment, she, I forget what she asked Dalton here. She's like, you know, why you don't want to dance with me or something like that? And Dalton just goes, I'm shy. 
And something about him aggressively saying, I'm shy. I love it. The dickishness that he's displaying with Carrie Ann, it doesn't quite work for me, but the dickishness he's he displays to Denise is, is her name in the movie. I love it every single time. Like, just shuts her down every single turn. You know she's never been shut down before in Jasper. This is great. Yeah, she's maybe like, a, I don't know, New York 7, Jasper 98, you know? Like, <laughs> but yeah, I cannot wait to be in a situation where if someone's like, hey, what's the matter, pal? Aggressively go. Nothing. I'm shy. Like that. Just I cannot. <laughs> I cannot wait. But yes, in comes some more uh, of Wesley's goons and they roll up in a monster goddamn truck and this dude walks in and as soon as he walks in, Dalton, he spots it. He goes, right boot. And then we look down and this guy has a blade sticking out from beyond his right boot and we even get a glint of light on it just so we, the audience, can see it. Yeah. And Dalton sees these guys and he goes, sorry, we're closed. Sorry, we're closed. Well, what are all these people doing here? Drinking and having a good time. Well, that's why we're here. You're too stupid to have a good time. So the guy tries to kick him, David, and Dalton catches the foot, and then Dalton goes, you're too stupid to have a good time. I've seen this movie so many times. That line is still so much fun. That was my another mark-out moment for me. I just... <laughs> I just love the ratcheting up tensions here combined with dumb dialogue. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've, I've made mention of it before. Like, that's an inaccurate thing to say. Stupid people have the best time. Yes. But in in the context of this movie, like, to be too stupid to have a good time, that's such a killer line. I like it a lot. And again, this fight, not I wouldn't, again, not call it a full-on action set piece, but it is a fight. It's satisfying. Like, it's not just like, you punch me, I punch you. It's like Dalton is punching, he's boxing ears, he's kicking, he's doing like little combos. And everyone else, like we're cutting to the double deuce crew. You know, at some point you felt like they're overpowered. Now these dudes are like a well-oiled machine. They're just like kicking ass. And again, some more great punch sound effects. A very satisfying little fight. I think what it is, I think this movie handles the chaos of smaller fights well. Like it's not, you know, in a typical movie, you're going to see Dalton waiting for, you know, it's four on one. And then the four come one at a time. Bip, bip, bip. You know, the next guy comes, bip, bip, bip. In these fights, everyone's got something to do. Dalton's taking on one or two guys. The other bouncers are taking on one or two guys. The camera just kind of takes it all in. There's a lot of wide shots. There's not getting, you know, you're not getting into the scrum. Mm. I, I think this these fights are handled really terrific. Yeah, and it doesn't break up the action of the fight in order to, like, uh, force in, like, a glory shot of Swayze the way, like, Van Damme, you'd, like, he would probably, like, you know, request, like, I need a shot here where I'm, like, flexing a lot or something like that. No, I think you described it uh, perfectly. Now, David, after the fight is done, uh, Doc shows up in a very patterned dress, and they go out for a drink at this low-energy diner. David, this diner date, I get that we're like cutting to it after they've been hanging out for a little bit, but they just seem like so bored of each other. Mm -hmm. do, 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 you, do you feel any chemistry between them? I don't, and I, I think they're both to blame. You know, Kelly Lynch throughout this movie... She makes me wish there was someone else in this movie. Mm. Like, I can't quite say the same for Patrick Swayze. I think he's he's great in this movie. I don't feel the chemistry between him and Doc. Yeah, I totally agree with you. There is a line at the end where Dalton's like, uh, hey, we better get out of here uh, before uh, I have you leaving here thinking I'm a nice guy. Dalton's like, okay, this date is bombing. I'm just saying a cute little line to be like, hey, let's get out of here because this date sucks. But then she goes, no, I know you're not a nice guy. She kind of gives him a look here. And the idea is like, you don't like him. You just like bad boys, maybe? Maybe. <sighs> yeah, maybe Maybe he's the most interesting thing in Jasper. So we cut to the next morning where Dalton is uh, hanging out, looking at the sun, I guess. 
He's lying on top of his car with a broken windshield and pretending that that is relaxing. And Brad Wesley's goons come up and say that uh, Brad Wesley is summoning Dalton. So they summon him to Brad Wesley's place. And, you know, Dalton's, you know, he, he he's being polite, I guess. He knows Brad Wesley's this powerful guy. I'll do him a kindness. I'll go see what he what he has to say. And he's he interrupts Brad Wesley in the middle of eating breakfast. And Denise is in the living room or the den. She's doing aerobics and she's been beat up a little bit. You know, she's trying to hide her face. So Dalton goes to talk to Brad Wesley. He's looking around his house and he sees a picture of, of Brad Wesley's grandfather. And he, lo- and he says, looks like, looks like he was an important man. And Brad Wesley says, he was an asshole. Like, man, nobody's paying you to keep that picture of your grandfather. Like, what does that picture of your grandfather mean to you? Is it just supposed to represent, like, I've had it hard. Even the people who were supposed to love me didn't love me. Like, I don't, I don't quite know what that's supposed to convey. Brad Wesley values prestige over, you know, human kindness. Because clearly he just, you know... He beat up his his girlfriend here, so he's a he's a weird piece of shit. Yeah, well, not weird. He's a piece of shit. But, uh, but yeah, he's, <laughs> he's also, such a weirdo. He's also weird, and he brags to Dalton is how he's like uh, basically built this town, the Jasper, Missouri. The reason why it's not just a, a couple mud huts is because of him, Brad Wesley. Yeah, this is one of the best flexes ever because he's sitting. You know, he's telling Dalton like, "I'm the big cheese around here. Uh, the mall's here because of me. I got the the photo mat, the Seven Eleven. Hell, the JC Penney's coming here because of me." And it's like, wow, this means something to you. That's the fucking funniest thing I've ever heard. Back to the double deuce, which is now new and improved. So presumably, several months have passed. Steve, there's now a line of people waiting to get in to to dance to this this terrible blues music. So it turns out Wesley has cut off the bar's suppliers and the bar is running out of booze. Dalton makes a phone call and a truck arrives the next day. Wesley's men arrive to, I guess, smash all the bottles, but Wade pulls into town just in time to help his miho. Also, Dalton and Doc have sex. Yeah, David, who's the bartender in this scene? So that's going to be Nope's Keith David. He can do it all. Yay. We're, we learn that. Okay, the double deuce is operating. It's up and running. They're, they've got people out the door. This is great, but they're running out of booze because Brad Wesley is putting the screws to everybody, including the suppliers of alcohol. So, you know, Dalton takes care of it. He better. He's getting paid a ton of money. But then we go from that, just, you know, a quick scene in the, the bar. He's leaving work and, and Doc is waiting outside for him. Mac, what time do you think Dalton is getting off of work? How long was Doc standing outside waiting for him? Because let's say, okay, the bar closes at two. He's still got to do the till. He's still got to clean. He's getting out of there at four or five. Like, how long was she waiting? Well, I think Doc has like the midnight sh- or the graveyard shift at the hospital. And uh, I mean, well, doctors, you know, famously overworked for some reason. They need to have 12 hour shifts. I don't doesn't seem great, but whatever. So yeah, these are late nights for these people. But David, the uh, the double deuce is looking much nicer. The employees are all wearing now the same like red collared shirt with a little double deuce insignia over the pockets. They look like employees of a circuit city, David. They certainly do. And, you know, the, they've got uniforms now. They've got, a you know, an order of operations. The place is clean. The place is running well. Do you think the employees like this new double deuce or do you think they kind of miss it? That's a good question because I, I don't, the, the bouncing crew, do they like it or do they not like it? That is interesting. I think the other employees, though, I think they like it because we're not just like teaching people how to fight. The Dalton is also, okay, here we're going to have a, an HR. We're going to set up some employee reviews. We have a three-strike system, okay? And then here, here's our dispute resolution policy. Like, I have a feeling that Dalton has got a little bit of, like, a corporate playbook when it comes to, like, cleaning up a bar. I also think that if this was, like, New York or L.A., then the bouncers would be like, oh, I kind of miss busting heads, but this is Jasper. They're like, please just give us a quiet night. This is all we want. You're the bouncers, I am the cooler, and this is your benefits package. 
But these goons show up to break, uh, smash a bunch of bottles of Drambui, <laughs> a, a liqueur I have not heard of in 20 years. If, if you're out there drinking Drambui still, email us at punchmountain at gmail.com. I, I want to hear from you, you, you buoy heads. But yeah, these goons show up. So it's it's Morgan, it's Tinker, it's O'Connor, and it's uh, um, a fourth guy. It's some tall dude that we haven't seen before. Yeah, there's this giant dude who we've only seen at the uh, the pool party, and they quickly overpower Dalton. Yeah, but then you, but also looking at them, these are a bunch of dweebs, Mac. Like, is this all it takes to be small town muscle? Do you think you and me and two other people could like run a town? Oh, 100%. But we would need the recklessness that comes from being employed by someone who's uh, beyond the law. Like, you and I, if we tried to run a town, we'd quickly be swooped up by the sheriffs. But again, there are no fucking police uh, at all in this, in this town. But David, during this fight, someone punches O'Connor. I think it is. Dalton that punches him. It might have been Wade Garrett, but they punch O'Connor and he lands into a dumpster. And for some reason, punching him into a dumpster, uh, I'm marked out again. I just thought that was so fucking funny <laughs> to be literally treated like trash. Yeah. But when Wayne Garrett rolls in, he walks all the back and he casually takes in the fact that Dalton is getting beaten up. And he's like, How's it going, Mio? And Morgan, again, played by Terry Funk, looks at him and he goes, Mind your own business, dad. If the joke there is that he's old. In which case, call him Grandpa. God damn it, Morgan, you blew an easy one. Well, there's also something like, you know, there's a big difference between Grandpa and Dad in that Dad feels somewhat tender, where it's all like, you know, mind your own business, Father. Stay out of it. I want you safe and sound. Like, I, Grandpa is like, yeah, I don't care if you die. That's the thing, too, is the way Garrett didn't say, hey, what's going on here? And it's like, mind your own business, Dad. Like, yeah, you know, this is, this, this aren't, we aren't the, the kids that you're looking after. He asks Dalton, how's it going, Miho? So yep. again, just, he fucking sucks. But David, before this fight, there's a fuck. Dalton and the doc have some sex in Dalton's uh, above barn apartment or whatever. And this sex scene is a little weird. They find some music that he likes. And then he starts like stalking the doc around the room. Like he, she's like actively like walk backing up from him this whole time is, is a weird energy. Yeah. Especially when, like we've been talking about, they don't really have chemistry. Like it's not. You know, if they had had chemistry leading up to this, then you could get the sense that she's playing coy. But right now, it really just feels like, at best, she doesn't want to get hurt by him. Why bother with that? It's Dalton. Look at him. Let's close escrow on this thing. David, have you heard the term intimacy coordinator before? Yes, I have. Yes. As far as I know, it's someone who's on set who makes sure everyone is like comfortable during sex scenes and, and discusses the mechanics of them or something. I wonder if an intimacy coordinator is also needed to make sure sex scenes make sense. Because I don't know if this one does. Because Dalton backs up Doc against a chimney, and then he they kiss, he unbuttons her blouse, and next thing you know, they're fucking. Didn't seem like the angle would work. Or was she also uh, not wearing underwear? Like, it just, this sex scene raised more questions than it gave answers, David. The immediacy, like, you know, did it take a little time to rev up? Or was she just raring to go? Yeah, these are questions I shouldn't bring to Roadhouse. I guess he unbuckled his pants, but they did not fall down. At some point, he's, like, carrying her. Yeah, yeah. The dong bouncing her across the room onto the bed. I had not considered the thought that he's just, like, porky pigging it while he takes her over <laughs> to the bed. And just, like, you know, kind of shuffling like he's out of toilet paper while, while he's got his pants around his ankles. That's brilliant. But after the sex scene, uh, she wakes up and she's in bed and Dalton is on the roof just, like, staring out into space. And so she, you know, nude except for a, a bed sheet goes out and joins him. You know, she says something and Dalton's like, yeah, uh, that's what they say. And Doc says something like, oh, someone said that to you before? And he goes, no, it's just that's what they say. And it's just like the dumbest fucking joke. The thing about Dalton is, is uh, 
his sense of humor sucks. And it made me think that, like, maybe Dalton sucks. You're giving me a lot to think about with this movie I've seen 50 fucking times. I like Patrick Swayze a lot. I really don't like Dalton very much. You know, he has, like, a little bit of some character stuff that he needs to go through, which we'll talk about very soon. Dalton takes Wade to meet Elizabeth, and they paint the town of Jasper red. They go to pick up Doc, and, and Dalton wants to basically have her meet the parents. You know, she wants to... wants her to get along with with wade they party all night they go to a bar they close it down they go to a diner the diner's got a jukebox the diner with a jukebox this movie is really selling me on small town life like if there's an opportunity for me to dance at a diner and also own a boat shop and also run this town with some goons i'm i'm thinking about moving mac it seems like uh you kind of do whatever you want kind of life the doc after partying all night long is like hey my shift starts in a couple hours uh, okay. Are you going to go practice medicine on some people? Are people's lives going to be in your sleepy ass hands? Go to, oh, Dalton is a, maybe a bad influence on the dock here. But the next night, Red's place blows up. Dalton rushes out to help. And then, you know, he, he can't help because uh, what is he going to do? Uh, punch an explosion? But then when he walks back in the double deuce, all of a sudden there's Brad Wesley in the gang. And Wesley's just hanging out. And he's like, oh, was there an explosion? Oh, mercy me. I didn't expect it. Brad Wesley's crew. They're in the double deuce and they're taken over. And part of taking over is that Denise, the uh, abused uh, girlfriend of Brad Wesley, is going to do a little strip tease here for no reason, just to, to show off the fact that like, oh, you think this is like a friendly establishment that you make the rules here, Dalton? I guess Brad Wesley's crew makes the, the rules here. But what do you think about this weird uh, strip tease scene? This made me feel bad because a few weeks ago I expressed a, a desire to see more nudity in movies, like more titillation, you know, kind of thing. This is not at all what I was talking about. This feels so gross. What was the awkwardness like? Because this scene goes on so long. You know, it, it's a it's a song's worth of, of dancing and stripping. You're sitting in the theater. You're watching this action movie with a bunch of other guys. And all of a sudden, you're watching this extended strip tease. Like, I, I, I might have wanted my money at, the, at that moment. It's be like, I'll see this on video when I'm at home alone. I guess you could view this as like, oh, look at this horny bad girl just being being kind of like bad or whatever, you know, just doing some naughty stuff, I guess. However, we know that the last time she flirted with Dalton, Brad Wesley beat her up. So now I'm watching this like captive do a little dance here and it's just fucking weird. It's just like a, a, a weird dynamic there. But then as soon as that dance is done, Brad Wesley's like, all right, time to show off a little bit of what my, uh, you know, my personal mercenary Jimmy can do. Jimmy here, finally, we could see some action from him. But he grabs a pool cue and on his way out to the middle of the dance floor to like do like a, a kung fu demonstration with this pool cue, he stops, he looks at the double deuce crew and he looks back at Dalton and he gives him this look like, this kind of like goofy ass look like, are you serious with these fucking goons, these goofy goons? And just the look on his face, it's so fucking funny. He just, <laughs> it's so good. Now, David, we haven't really talked much about Cody, played by Jeff Healy, but Jeff Healy is blind and he, his character is, you know, the same, blind as well. And this movie does not really do anything with that in any sort of like untoward way. Like no one makes fun of him for being blind. It's not cast at all in kind of a negative light, which uh, with a movie as indelicate as Roadhouse, you worry about it a little bit. However, in this scene, it is kind of funny that he's blind. And I don't know what song he's playing. I think maybe Roadhouse Blues by The Doors. Is that the name of that song? By The Doors, yeah, yeah. But as he's playing this, unbeknownst to him, a fight is breaking out in front of him. So the fact that he's like happily playing along, you know, giving his all into the song, he does a great job. And he's not aware that there's a giant fight from that is kind of 
that's kind of funny in a way. Not funny in a way like we're making fun of him, just it's a funny situation. This is the moment where that occurred to me as well because the music's still playing while Jimmy's doing his demonstration while the fight's going on and you would think if it's a live band, there would have been like a needle stop. There would have been like a, you know, okay, let's stop playing this, you know, this music and let this fight happen. But it's in that moment that you realize, man, it is an asset to have a blind musician. Because like think of all the times before the double deuce got cleaned up when he was just playing in front of chicken wire and having bottles thrown at him. If I'm me and I know those bottles are coming at me, I'm quitting that night. But if he's just sitting there in his element playing music and occasionally gets hit with shards of glass, not the worst existence in the world. Yeah, David, uh, every time I perform stand-up comedy, the worst part of it is making eye contact with people and seeing in their eyes that they wish they had gone to Cocaine Bear instead of seeing me do comedy. But Jimmy, he does like his little with the pool cue, and he looks over at Dalton. You think he's going to do the Neo-style summoning hand, but he pivots and he summons Wade Garrett to a fight. Jimmy gets a, he kind of gets the upper hand on Wade. This is an impressive way to build up Jimmy, you know, because he is going to be used later on in the movie. They're going to have a, a showdown with Dalton. So to have kind of a tease, kind of a setup as to what could happen where, you know, he's taking on Wade. You know, we don't quite know how good Wade is, but we know he's good enough. And so for Jimmy to kind of take him the distance and, and to get within a killing blow of of beating Wade and then Dalton comes in and catches his foot mid kick. But like, this is a great way to set Jimmy up. I, I do feel like he's going to end up being a formidable opponent. Yeah. It's kind of what we were talking about last week with um, Punisher Warzone. Jigsaw's crew, no one in that crew was like a threat at all. And Brad Wesley's crew, yeah, he's got Jimmy. He's got this like awesome dude who can like really fight. Now, at some moment, Jimmy pole vaults onto the stage using the pool cue. He looks over at Dalton goes, you! And then he jumps down off the stage like a Dracula would jump off of. <laughs> and that's when Wesley decides to stop the fighting by firing off a gun inside the double deuce. It shows you that Brad Wesley feels like he can control this action at any time. Fights start when he says start. Uh, women take off their clothes when he says take off their clothes. And fights stop when he says stop. And he's just like, pulls out a gun, shoots it, in the, shoots it into the ceiling. He's like, all right, all right, that's enough. It's like, man, one great choice after another with Brad Wesley. Yeah, you really get the sense that he's like a, uh, like a mad emperor or something like that. Kill each other for sport gladiators. And he's like, I've grown tired of this. Now kiss. I don't know. But from there, we're going to cut to someone's house. And the town's other three businessmen try to convince Red to reopen. But Red is content to let Wesley win. Brad Wesley asserts his dominance by destroying a car lot with a monster truck. Dalton knows he can't take on Wesley and his men and is faced with a choice. Leave and let Brad Wesley win or stay and lose his life. So we start this sequence. It's Red. It's Frank Tillman. It's Emmett. And then we're going to meet Stroudenmeyer, played by John Paul Jones. This is going to be some Wally Wallace type guy. He's going to own the car dealership. We see in a minute. The, the look of Stroudenmeyer, the name of Stroudenmeyer, I love this character and I have no reason to. Yeah, he's definitely a character and he owns Stroudenmeyer's Ford, which he does not know it, but the days of that Ford dealership are numbered. And at some moment during this meeting, maybe it's Red, he says, like, he's got the sheriff in his pocket, meaning Brad Wesley. Great. But however, that would have been a good thing to show because where the fuck have the police been this entire movie? It is baffling. So the sheriff is what, out of town at a police convention? Like, just, this is the future liberals want. There is no police presence in this town. <laughs> but at the same time, now there's also chaos. It's not, there's got to be a middle ground here. Yeah, this movie, you know, this movie expects us to assume it, but it would have been nice to see a cop show up and, you know, say, oh, my hands are tight. You know, be a real shit so that we can feel 
that the sheriffs are an enemy. But no, we don't get any of that. But anyway, then we cut to Strottenmeyer's Ford dealership where Brad Wesley is ordering a monster truck to go ahead and drive right on through the Ford dealership, which, David, I don't get the point of the scene other than the fact that it really just ups the WTFness of this movie. That's pretty much it. This is going to be close to the end of the second act. So you're going to have, you know, you're going to have the dread raised on this. And this is just going to be Brad Wesley saying, not only have I won, I'm going to show you how much I can do. Yeah, but David, there are so many people hanging around this Ford dealership. Did did word travel fast? Like, oh, a monster truck. Oh, we're going to see something cool. Like, how did... What was going on here? I assume they were just there for wagon days because that's the sign outside of Stroud and Meyer Ford. So I guess they wanted uh, deals on hot name brands. Now, look, you could blow up Red's auto parts, right? And what, what's Red going to do? But you destroy an entire Ford dealership. Isn't the Ford Motor Company going to want to look into this? I think I would assume so. Yeah, definitely. It's like that scene in The Sopranos where the, the crew tried to shake down a Starbucks and they're like, yeah, it's not going to work, guys. <laughs> I'm not going to give you the money. They're going to fire me. And then the... The next guy is going to do the same or whatever. But like I said, you know, this is going to be an example that there is no law here. In fact, Wesley says at one point, he says, this is my town and don't you forget it. Which, you know, this is this is him declaring that, you know, don't fuck with me. I, I win. So Wesley has blown up Red's auto parts. He's taken down Strodmeyer's Ford dealership. And so Dalton is definitely feeling the pressure. So he's back at the barn. He's working out with the heavy back and Wade Garrett comes to visit him and he's like dude this is fucking nuts let's get out of here and dalton is a dick to him he's like fine go bitch and wade's like i don't know whether to grab your ass and put you in the car just kick your fucking ass dalton's like fine let's do it and he's like about to fight wade garrett and then wade garrett like catches his fist and instead of just like you know beating dalton's ass he's just like hey man i love you you know i've learned more from you than you've learned from me it was interesting I mean, I don't know. What do you think of this scene? I liked it a lot. It's giving me a sense that this is a different kind of action movie. You know, you wouldn't expect two men, the two male co-leads, I guess, to express any sort of love or affection for each other. And even, you know, the decisions coming up later where should I stay or should I go? This movie posits that there is merit in going as opposed to the action movie trope where I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay and I'm going to fight this thing. You know, we get really close to Dalton and crew leaving. It's it's a wild little script, honestly. Yeah, it's Wade kind of acknowledging like, hey, you, you're kind of not helping here. Like, your presence is escalating this violence. Maybe the pathway to peace for you right now is to leave. And Dalton does not want to do that. And there's more of that later on when he uh, gets confronted by the doc, which is coming up next. So Dalton is again, you know, he's, he's back at his uh, barn apartment and he's just brooding outside of a window and doc comes over and she also tries to convince Dalton to leave. While doing this, Emmett's house blows up. Dalton chases down the culprit. It's Jimmy. And Dalton makes sure Jimmy doesn't say a word of this to anyone. It's an action set piece we'll call Tensions Reach a Ripping Point. So David Doc visits Dalton and tries to get him to leave. And I like this scene because she basically calls him on his bullshit. Oh, yeah, I'm the only one who could stand up to Brad Wesley. I'm the only one that could protect these people. And Doc's like, who's going to protect this town from you? And then the explosion happens. But David, earlier in the movie, during the diner date, Doc asked Dalton, do you always win a fight? And Dalton says, no one ever wins a fight. He'd rather be a nonviolent person. It's kind of the sense there that he's being very zen about it. But Dave, for someone who says that no one can ever win a fight, Dalton sure cannot stand to lose. Is Dalton's entire act been bullshit and now this is revealing it? Or is just the fact that like Dalton's values are being severely tested here by the escalation of one Mr. Brad Wesley? That's a really good question. I think part of my answer is going to refer to Once Wade shows up, he provides a lot of the backstory into Dalton's past, where we learn that 
Uh, he murdered somebody. He actually did. You know, he might have actually ripped a guy's throat out. Uh, he got off. You know, he was he was acquitted of it because it was self defense. You know, we get the sense through talking with Wade that he's been running his whole life. You know, he'll get caught up in a situation in one town and then he'll vamoose and he'll go to another town and then he's going to get caught up in another situation there. So I think at this point in the movie, if it's working well, the audience is supposed to be clicking with that and saying, you know, he's been running his whole life. Maybe it's time for him to take a stand. But it feels like there's a gap in the script. It feels like there's something missing to connect those those threads together. Yeah, you're right. We, we kind of glazed over it, but Dalton is definitely still carrying guilt around from that encounter, which is why when the doc is like, hey, I want, maybe you can just stay with me. Dalton's like, I don't think it's going to happen because he knows that if he falls in love with someone, he's going to have to rip a throat out. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, Dalton is so pissy in this scene. It's hard not to feel like his entire Zen persona is just like bullshit. It's a person he wants to be because of his past, not a person who he is. Like his whole Zen philosophy is aspirational because... Otherwise, if he doesn't have it, Dalton believes that he is like a beast. And so the the Zen exterior persona is more of like a cage to keep his beast under control. God damn it, David, we're going so deep into Roadhouse. Yeah, it's a Roadhouse. Oh no, we're insufferable pricks. But David, as soon as this building explodes, Dalton jumps into action. Literally jumps into action. You know, he's got that big, that big open window that leads out into the roof where he was sitting post-coitus. So he jumps out that window onto the roof and just bounds down. I was like, hell yeah, this is Dalton literally springing into action. Let's go. Let's start wrapping up this movie. And how do we know that it's Jimmy that set the explosion? Well, uh, David, if you had any doubts that Jimmy was indeed evil, put those doubts to rest. Because after the explosion happens, Jimmy's on like a dirt bike and he goes, <laughs> like a super villain, you know, Dracula laugh. And then he tries to drive away on the motorcycle, but Dalton is, of course, a superhuman and runs him down. And then they have, yeah, it's a pretty good fight. Oh, this is a fantastic fight. This is what you want Jimmy versus Dalton to be. You know, it, it's no frills. It's just two guys wailing on each other. It's pretty awesome. There's a moment in this fight, though. I'm going to need a ruling on this, Mac, because, you know, Jimmy kind of gets the upper hand on Dalton. And one of the things he says to Dalton is he remarks, I used to fuck guys like you in prison. Now, while I don't agree with the sentiment of that statement, <laughs> I did mark out in the sense that, okay, so we were having the conversation last week. We were trying to explain what, what marking out means, what a mark out moment is. And in wrestling, there's a variation on, the, on marking out. If something is done that wrestling fans haven't seen before, or if something is done that's just so bonkers you can't believe you saw it, you'll often get a crowd chanting, holy shit, holy shit. That's kind of what I was doing with this line, and that's kind of what everyone who watches this movie does. Like, if you've ever watched this movie with someone watching it for the first time, they might be kind of passive about the movie, but when they get to that line, it's just, at the very least, you're going to get like a, I beg your pardon? So, like, I don't I don't know if this is a markout moment necessarily, but golly, that is a classic fucking line. It was very odd watching it this time, because when we would do this show live and, and screen Roadhouse and make jokes over it, when we would get to that line of the movie... And it would play, the crowd would be like, what the fuck? And then just a huge laugh because it's a nutso line. But watching it without laughter, like the music, you know, it it's not like the music like builds and swells and then he says this line. It just he just kind of says it over the moody music. He's being fucking scary. I would say if, if you had a reaction to it that strong, I would call that a mark out for sure. Because it's not quite a Jesus fucking Christ, even though it might be both. But then Dalton gets the upper hand of the fight, and then he's like, bip, 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 little combo. Jimmy's going down. And the last ditch effort, Jimmy pulls out a gun. As Wade said earlier in the movie, 
when a guy puts a gun in your face, you got two choices. And I forget what the choice is. Choice number one was, but choice two was probably rip out his throat. And this is going to be another mark out moment for me. Like, you know, it's coming. It's, it's iconic. It's what you know from this movie. And after all these viewings, it still delivers. It's a fucking throat rip. It's great. Dalton takes Jimmy's corpse and he pushes it in the water. So it floats over to Brad Wesley's side of the lake. And then like a streetcar named Dalton, he screams, Wesley, fuck you. But then Dalton shows up to work the next morning like nothing happened and no one is dead. Wesley calls and offers Dalton a choice. Save the life of Doc or save the life of Wade. Wade loses a coin toss and gets beaten half to death. After Dalton fails to convince Doc to leave with him, Dalton returns to the double deuce to find Wade dead. Looks like he caught a bad case of knife in his chest. Ah, it's incurable as far as I know. No, don't care. So we've still got Jimmy floating in this lake and we return to work like nothing ever happened. Are the lakes and creeks in Jasper, Missouri just choked with corpses? What's going on here? I think they are. I think the lakes are basically like ancient redneck burial grounds. Uh, (laughs) A lot of floaters in those lakes. But David, the dominance of Brad Wesley as a movie villain continues because the phone is ringing at the double deuce as Dalton picks up. Brad Wesley goes, here's what we're doing today or whatever he says there. Wade or Elizabeth. That's the doctor's name when she's not being called Doc. And he flips a coin. So he's like, you know what? Tell you what, I'll I'll, I'll let the coin decide who lives or who dies. And he actually puts down the phone and there's no one else in the room, David. It's just him. But Wesley takes the time to flip the coin. And then when he looks at the results, head or tails, we don't get to see. He kind of gives like an evil little laugh and nods at it. It's just fucking amazing. (laughs) He's so bad. It's the fucking best. Like, You know, just even the micro move of I'm going to put you on hold. Like, you called me, asshole. You're ruining it. You're taking time out of my day and you're going to put me on hold and flip this coin. Brilliant. I love it so much. It's such a good villain move. So then Wade shows up, you know, beating half to death a double deuce. And he's like, oh, okay. I guess Brad Wesley chose Wade to beat up. I'm going to go to the hospital and get Doc and we're going to leave town. Which here's the thing about the doctor. Uh, She's a doctor. She's got a professional career and people that count on her. And she's got a whole life that has nothing to do with Dalton. Your fucking bouncer boyfriend shows up and he's like, we got to get out of here. Me and you hit the road. Dalton's so embarrassing in this scene. <laughs> I got, uh, I got like reports. I'm looking at x-rays right now. I have to make a presentation for the chief of, of staff in a minute. Just leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> but then Swayze returns the double deuce and it turns out the heads or tails, whatever it was, it was tails, I think. Yeah. Cause Wade ends up getting murdered. So so Wesley flips the coin. It lands on tails. He decides to kill Wade. And so he's like, all right, boys, beat up Wade, but only a little bit. And then later, beat him up some more. It's just a weird, like, I, I say weird. I guess it's just it's just how the, uh, the brain of an evil man works, David. I'll, I'll never understand it. My assumption is the Brad Wesley crew beat up Wade, thought they beat him to death, and, like, went to go get a sandwich and came back and the body was gone. So they had to, like, scramble to go find out where he was and kill him for good. That would make sense that he's just a hard man to kill. So maybe they didn't think he was dead. Maybe they just were like, take it a lot out of me. Let's hit up a Jersey Mike's. And then they came back and <laughs> they wanted to finish the job. A lot of acting here out of Swayze, realizing his uh, his friend has been murdered. He's emoting the hell out of it. You know, Wade's laying on the bar. Dalton's crying over his dead friend. Mac, is this acting good? Hmm. Yes. I'm going to say it is good. It's Look, I'll, I'll give him credit. It's a tough thing to pull off. I don't quite know that I have the point of reference of watching a friend die after getting stabbed on a bar. But like some of it feels silly. If the acting is not good, it's not for lack of trying. I feel like Swayze does give it his all. And if he comes up short, you know, it's not like he's phoning it in. He's not uh, pulling a Vince Vaughn dodgeball where I, I literally think he was asleep in some of those scenes. 
That's right. We're taking a break out of talking about uh, Roadhouse for me to, to dunk on dodgeball for a second. <laughs> David, it's time for Dalton to go on the offensive. Here we are at the climactic action set piece we'll call All Roads Lead to Death House. That's right. Dalton storms the Wesley compound and takes out all of Wesley's men one by one. Morgan, O'Connor, Ketchum, and Pat all get it from Dalton. Tinker, however, gets taken down by a stuffed polar bear. This leaves Dalton and Wesley to battle to the death, but Red and the boys arrive to let Wesley know whose town this is. This whole thing's fucking great, Mac. Yeah, David, this scene fucking rules from start to finish. And the start of it, of course, is the Wesley gang, they're they're waiting for Dalton in the compound, and John Doe is scratching his back, holding the barrel of a shotgun, scratching it with the handle. And he's like, hey, remember that blonde? She could suck start a Harley. Just so stupid in the background. <laughs> the action here starts. They spot Dalton's Mercedes Benz like gunning for him, just like barreling down, headed right at him. Unbeknownst to them, Dalton is not in the car, but he's put like a knife on the uh, accelerator to make the car go faster. So they start firing at it and the car like hits a fence and like, you know, gets ramped into the air and does like a spin. And the underside of the car turns to catch him, the owner of the knife boot and the monster truck and catch him with a shotgun, I guess, blasts open the gas tank of the car and it explodes Talk about like the opening ceremonies, right? Just like it was a great beginning to the set piece. Yeah, this is going to be a mark out moment for me. Like, you know, it didn't really register the number of times that I've watched it. But in this viewing, I was like, man, this is really underrated. This is, you know, Dalton is literally crashing a car into the compound and just storming the gates. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it too. I, I also marked out here as well. Ketchum is like, you know, he's, he's quietly stalking around the compound trying to find... Uh, the Batman-like Dalton in this scene. He does not find him, but what he does find is Morgan, who's already been knocked unconscious by Dalton. And David, ugh, show me that fight. Show me Dalton taking down Morgan. I wanted to see that. I don't want to just see the after effects. I didn't, boo, I said at the screen. Yeah, you've got the one guy who actually has athletic prowess in selling a punch and you don't even use him. That was kind of a ripoff. Brad Wesley's house here is full of Brad Wesley's hunting trophies because he is a shitty big game hunter. And we see Tinker walking around the house and he's like, I hate this place because he's scared by all the stuffed animals. And Dalton, I guess, picks up on this and just like pushes a stuffed uh, taxidermy polar bear over on Tinker, who I guess is in the Three Stooges because he does that like curly like (laughs) with his mouth. And then the polar bear falls on him. And I guess that knocks Tinker unconscious. It's so fucking stupid. Like. You know, it pays off later. I'll, I'll, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. But in the moment when you're watching this movie, you know, you've got these goons and they're all getting mowed down one by one. So for Tinker to just get like pinned down by a stuffed bear, it's the stupidest fucking thing. It is so dumb. But Tinker is also so stupid that it oddly works. I mean, only because this crew is so stocked with dummies that this dumb takedown doesn't feel like I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> But Brad Wesley corners Dalton into his trophy room and he's like, oh, yeah, I see you found my trophy room, Dalton. It's got all my trophies. The only thing missing is your ass. Consider for a second that Brad Wesley is in love with Dalton the same way he was in love with Elizabeth Clay that we find out earlier in some exposition from uh, from Jeff Healy. He was in love with Doc. She rebuffed him and he you know, kind of went crazy. So it's not that wild to think that he went equally crazy when he found something else that he desired and couldn't have it. You're not you're not wrong there. That does that does track. Now this trophy room, David, it's fucked up. I, I guess we're supposed to think, oh my God, Brad Wesley has killed all these animals. He's actually more of a physical threat than what we assumed he'd be. But David, any asshole can shoot an animal, right? Yep. One of the things in Brad Wesley's trophy room is a fucking walrus head. Brad Wesley shot a walrus? Why, dude? 
What was that walrus doing to you? I guarantee you nothing. It's it, yeah. It really is like it's the most benign creature. You're you're one creature away from like oh I've got a, a stuffed snuffleupagus head on my wall. Take that, children. So Wesley fights Dalton, and Wesley does show some capabilities with a spear. Like he does, he throws a spear at Dalton, and it's like oh he can you know do some stuff here. But Dalton you know beats him up. It looks like Dalton is like he's reached his boiling point. He's got his hand raised in the throat ripping position. And the music is like, ding, ding, ding. Like, and you're like, oh my God, he's about to rip out his throat. But then the doc comes and Dalton is like, I'm done. No more violence. This is over. As he starts to walk away, Brad Wesley reaches for a gun. And now Wesley says, it's over, Dalton. And he's about to shoot Dalton. And he does. R.I.P. What a, what a sad ending to the movie. No, here comes the, the town's business folk. Here comes Red. Here comes Frank Tillman. Here comes Emmett. They blast Brad Wesley in the in the chest. They, you know, they pump him full of shotgun. And then Frank steps in and he says, this is our town. And don't you forget it. You know, it's a play on him earlier saying, this is my town. This is my mark out moment. You know, for the, for the movie to build to this culmination where like the townsfolk finally do band together and take out Brad Wesley once and for all, it was very satisfying for me and I marked out. Yeah, very much like how all the members of the Senate, I think, got together to kill Caesar. It wasn't just Caesar's main rival, Daltarius, uh, who took him down. Then guess what happened? Something you never would think would happen in this movie. The police actually fucking show up. <laughs> and they look at what's going down, and they're like, what What happened here? And all the members of the Jasper Improvement Society, Red and Emmett, they're like, I didn't see nothing. Did you? I didn't see nothing. Did you see anything, Tinker? Tinker looks up, and he sees three stuffed monkeys. And the stuffed monkeys have been arranged taxidermied. So where they're doing the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil kind of layout. And then I guess that inspires Tinker to do what? To tell the truth. And the truth is that, you know, his final line is polar bear fell on me. And that is going to be a mark out moment for me. That is one of, <laughs> here's the thing, man. We just watched an action movie. We just watched this, you know, this Western. We just watched this one man take on, you know, a, a guy trying to destroy a town. The final line in this movie is polar bear fell on me. How, how do you top that? You fucking can't. And everyone laughs. They sit around <laughs> Brad Wesley's corpse. They all have a good laugh. And then all of a sudden, here comes a Bob Dylan song. Probably the only song in this movie I legitimately like. And uh, Jeff Lee's playing it. And then we see that things have returned to normal in Jasper, Missouri. And we get a shot that maybe tells us that Dalton has had a happy life. Because he's going skinny dipping with the dock. And they're jumping and splashing around the lake. And then they start... Naked kissing in the lake. Uh, the only problem here, David, is that also on this like uh, fuck picnic, Cody, Jeff Healy's character. So it's like, hey, friend of mine who can't see, come spend a nice day with us outside. I'm going to swamp fuck my girlfriend in front of you. Kind of an odd moment. But what are you going to do, huh? Because that, David, is the end of Roadhouse. All right, David, how many mark out moments did you have? How many moms up in this house? I'm going to go ahead and count Jimmy's line as a mark out moment. So that's going to give me five, Mac. How about you? I had four, which if you think of the fact that I've seen this movie so many times and I still marked out four times, that's that's nuts. This movie is fun. David, is it someone's favorite movie? At the very least, I think bar staff love this movie. They find it relatable and aspirational. If this was not someone's favorite movie, the whoever is in charge of programming at TNT or TBS is rolling over in their cryogenic tube right now, David, because that... Uh, the, the, the amount of times they showed it, it needed to be someone's favorite movie. All right, David, time for some punch-ups. Everyone knows we're the ultimate script doctors, David. How would you improve this movie? How would you punch it up? This movie's awesome. This movie plays really well, but it doesn't quite have that big moment that an action movie should. It doesn't have like a big 
holy cow action set piece. I would have loved one, you know, ideally at the beginning of the movie, you know, because this movie does take a long time to get going. So I think something at the very beginning just be like, holy shit, that would have that would have been that would have worked for me. I think at the end, you know, we, we talk about this with a lot of movies. We actually talked about this last week with Punisher Warzone, where the the big bad, you know, the final villain doesn't often seem formidable. They use their underlings to be the muscle for them. But when we get to them in the final fight, it never quite works. I think if we had gotten to Brad Wesley's trophy room and Dalton's getting ready to fight him, but Brad Wesley rips off his shirt and suddenly Ben Gazzara's fucking mega ripped, I would have lost my mind on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. In season two of Barry, Bill Hader has to like kill this dude and he goes to his house. And then when the camera pans around, you see that half of this guy's house is covered in like kickboxing trophies. And Barry's like, oh, fuck. That kind of thing where like we see the fact that Brad Wesley's house has got all these trophies. Maybe Dalton turns around and Brad Wesley like has a bow and arrow. And all of a sudden he's like Hawkeye or something like that. Yeah. Because by the time Brad Wesley picks up that spear, you're just like, what are you doing, old man? You're never going to beat Dalton. Now, my other punch up, David, would be more Brad Wesley doing crazy shit, right? He owns this town. No one can stop him. I want to see more examples of that. Like have him go to a grocery store, buy a bunch of steaks. And he's like, do you guys accept acorns here? And they're like, just, you know, <laughs> he's like, I don't have any money, but I do have this newspaper and they're like oh thank you for the newspaper yes take whatever you want just like have him just be more of like a weird spoiled king i would have thought that was really funny i know it would have been nice to get a proper sequel to this thing they've been talking about doing a remake for years and last i heard of it it was going to star ronda rousey and kind of a gender swapped version of roadhouse however david just this month footage came out of jake gyllenhaal he jumped up there during a ultimate fighting weigh-in he found out that he's not you know uh switching careers that they were capturing footage for the Roadhouse remake. And I was like, oh, okay. So I guess Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be in a Roadhouse remake. Give Dalton the backstory of a former UFC fighter. That's something. I'm not too excited about that. The fact that Doug Lyman, Edge of Tomorrow's Doug Lyman, the Born Identity's Doug Lyman is going to be the director of the Roadhouse sequel. I, I just can't make that make sense in my brain. This is, you know, it's one miss after another because I think one of the things that makes the original Roadhouse work is the reluctance of Dalton. You know, he was a philosophy degree holder who kind of was just too good to not be a bouncer, too good to not be a cooler. So then you take that angle and recreate it to where it's just this meathead, I assume, you know, who was very proactive about being violent and busting people's heads. I don't know if this thing's going to work, man. And then goes Doug Lyman. No, thank you. Who knows? It Doug Lyman, Jake Jonal. It's such an unexpected pick that I'm now actually super curious about this Roadhouse remake. All right, David, it's time to go to the Punch Mountain video store. And David, as you know, this is an all action movie video store. We have three copies of the movie Roadhouse. Since it's all action, what subsections of action would you stock this movie in? Okay, first one's going to go on a Swayze shelf. I think he's got enough hits for us to anticipate some more Patrick Swayze selections. Uh, next one's going to go in 80s action. This is a very 80s action movie. I, I, I like it quite a bit. The third one, I, I can't remember. I feel like we had some hair-related category when dealing with Hard Target. I think it was like mullet action, right? Right? Okay, good. Yeah, so then that this is definitely going to be mullet action or you know product action, something like that. But this is a hairy movie. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I mean, any other category I stick this in, I don't know if another movie would also fit that category. <laughs> right, like yeah. Like throat ripping action, constant bar fight action. Like it just, I don't know. So those, those seem like uh, perfect stockings to me. 
All right, David, now it is time to reveal the place of Roadhouse on the definitive ranking of action movies on Punch Mountain itself. David, before we see the mountains ranking, what what were you thinking? Where would you stock this movie if it was up to you? And it's not. Never forget that, David. It's not up to you. I'd be up for a number of spots on this list. It's fantastic. It's a really great movie. It's got a lot of really good action. It's not a perfect action movie, so that does leave a little wiggle room there. But I think the things going in this movie's favor, Patrick Swayze is winning in this movie despite the character not being very winning, despite him not being given a lot to work with. Ben Gazzara, I said it earlier in the show, I think he might be the best villain on this mountain. The script is oddly satisfying. I I could see it getting very high. I could also see it being somewhere in the middle. Yeah, the action of this movie is satisfying, but pretty basic. It does build nicely until the best action is the final fight. And I do enjoy that. And then, yeah, there's so many like enjoyable, fun parts of this movie. Even though the action isn't like widescreen super fighting like in uh, The Raid 2, it still has great momentum throughout. So, yeah, I honestly don't know. Oh, my goodness, David. Look out for those falling rocks because pieces of the mountain are falling down. The golden letters indicating the name Roadhouse are starting to appear, David. And right now they appear at the number six position. So that means at the summit of the mountain, the very top, we have Terminator 2 Judgment Day, followed by Raid 2 The Matrix Prey, RRR, and then Roadhouse, followed by Hard Target and Dread. I got to say that Roadhouse Hard Target, that's like a really fun double feature. These movies fit perfectly on a, uh, a, a double uh, double action feature right there. Oh, 100%. Those are kindred spirits. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and to check out the complete rankings, definitely visit punchmountain.com because that is where they will be. Oh, David, you hear that noise? I sure do. I got to go cool. No, David, that's not a horn calling us for cooling. It's a horn calling us to action. On this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the Houston Food Bank. The Houston Food Bank is the nation's largest food bank, distributing food to 600 relief charities in 18 Southeast Texas counties, feeding over 800,000 people each year. The Houston Food Bank also provides community services, ranging from nutrition education to assistance with food stamp applications and hands-on job training. For each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to the Houston Food Bank. And for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation, up to a certain amount, just in case any bots out there want to bankrupt us. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air because we are vain like that. David, you live in Denver. I'm in Austin, but your hometown was Houston. So that's why we chose the Houston Food Bank. However, if there is a food bank that's closer to where you live, listener, I encourage you to check that out for opportunities to donate or volunteer. For more information on Houston Food Bank or to donate directly to them, visit houstonfoodbank.org. And folks, that'll do it for episode 20 of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up next week. From 2013 and directed by Guillermo del Toro, it's Pacific Room. We'll see you next week. Bye, bye, bye.